0: Well, let's look at this psalm together, hey? It's so good to be going through the psalms again and being refreshed spiritually by them, isn't it? Well, let's pray again. God, our Father, we thank you for these wonderful and ancient words. These words written so many years ago by your faithful people and preserved through the generations for us here today. We pray that you would take these ancient words now that you would make them relevant, powerful for today, and you would help us to listen to them and live them out in Jesus name. Amen. Did you know that apparently singing is good for your health? Research has shown that singing exercises the brain and the body. Apparently, singing improves your breathing, your posture, your muscle tension your circulation. It increases endorphins and decreases stress hormones so it can even increase immunity and decrease pain. Next time you have a headache, just belt out Bon Jovi at the top of your voice. (laughs) Surely that will work, right? Apparently singing increases our sense of happiness and well-being. And apparently social singing, coming together to sing with a choir or a band or something like that, Research has shown that singing in these groups bonds people together more quickly. And as you bond with people, then your well-being is increased as well. Singing is apparently good for you. I don't know if you thought that's what you were getting yourself into when you came and sang tonight, that you would have better posture and better breathing or anything like that. But my guess is that we actually know a little bit about this already because we catch ourselves humming tunes, and they make us happy. We catch ourselves singing in the shower or the car, because that's what you do in the shower or the car, you belt out Bon Jovi. We catch ourselves at the office, singing loudly when our headphones are on and our office mates are looking strangely at us. Well, the Bible calls for singing too, but not because of the potential health and social benefits it can give us. We see in this psalm, Psalm 98, this psalm in particular calls for singing and praise to God. Why? Because he is the king. As we heard last week, uh, we're taking three weeks over the school holidays to read some psalms. Psalms 97, 98 and 99. And these psalms are all about the kingship and majesty of God. These psalms are all about How amazingly powerful and in control and deserving of praise that our king really is. And this psalm, Psalm 98, it has three parts and in each part the praise gets bigger and louder. I hope you realize that as Matt read it. And even more people and all creation by the end of it join in in praise to God. This is the glory that he deserves as the rightful king of the universe. And throughout the psalm, the psalmist gives us a few reasons for praising God. He calls us to praise God for who he is and what he's done. He says, sing to God because this is the kind of king that he is. So let's see what he says in verses 1 to 3. Have a look there. Verse 1, we get the big command of the psalm. Sing a new song to the Lord. Here we see what we see. All over the Bible, the command for God's people to sing. So, if you don't like singing, bad luck. God commands us, as his people, time and time again, all across the Bible, to sing. But why are we commanded to sing? Why do we do this weird activity on a Sunday night? Well, here's a few thoughts on why God's people are commanded to sing. Kind of like my list of benefits of singing together. Number one, singing is a gift of God's creation that glorifies him. God created the beauty of sound. God created the beauty of the human voice and the beauty of when voices join together in unison. He's glorified by that creation. Number two, singing reinforces ideas in our brains. How do you learn the alphabet? You sing it. And what what does the end of the song say? It says, now I know my ABCs. Why? Because you just sung it. And when you sing things, you remember them. Are you weird like me, that whenever you put things in alphabetical order, you sing the song in your head or quietly to yourself? You're actually not weird like me, because that's the norm, that we would use singing as a powerful memory tool. And so when we sing about God and his glory, well, that is imprinted on our brains and reinforced in our minds. That was number two. Number three, singing expresses and guides our thoughts and emotions. Singing gives us the power to express to God the emotions that we have because of what he has done for us. For example, we can sing and express our thankfulness to God for what he's done. Singing also refocuses our thoughts and emotions on God and his glory. When we sing about Jesus' death and resurrection, we become thankful as we sing. Singing uh, singing the song Amazing Grace makes us more amazed by God's grace, doesn't it? Number four, singing unites us and builds us up as God's people. This is the big reason we sing here each week. When we sing together, we declare, we are God's people. God is my Father. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And our singing builds each other up as we together praise God or declare his praises and his truth to each other. And so we do that together and we become thankful or whatever else the song is about. Number five, it's a testimony to the world. People overhear singing and their interest sparks. Our neighbors overhear us singing, by the way. They don't like it, but they hear it. But whether they like it or they absolutely hate it, which I'm sure some of them do, our singing is a testimony. It says we are God's people. We have faith in Jesus. And is a powerful witness to them that we value Christ. So that's my five quick thoughts on singing as a Christian. And this psalm, it doesn't just say sing and then just leave us going, okay, what do we sing about and why do we sing? No, it gives us a reason. The psalmist tells us to sing. Why? Because of who God is and what he's done. So again, why should we sing to the Lord? Have a look at verse 1. Sing to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. Why sing to the Lord? Because he is victorious. Because he is a mighty warrior who has won the battle. He has picked up his sword in his right hand, his shield in his left. He has charged into battle and he has defeated the enemy. He has won the victory. It's a confronting image, isn't it? God is a warrior king. But what is the victory that he's won? Well, let's have a look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. What is this victory God has won? He has done what he promised for his people, the nation of Israel. He has saved them. He has called them and made them his special people. He has made promises to them and he has kept them. He has protected them from the nations around them. God remembers and keeps his promises to Abraham. First of all, this is talking about the Exodus, isn't it? When God saved Israel up out of Egypt. Have a look at the similar language in Deuteronomy 26. It's on your outline. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Sounds like our psalm, doesn't it? With terrifying power and with signs and wonders. Also sounds like our psalm. So the psalmist gives us clear reason to praise God. Yahweh, the name for God in the Old Testament. Yahweh is a warrior king. He has done what Israel could not do for themselves. So he deserves their singing and praise because he brought them out of Egypt. But the great thing about this psalm is that it's not super specific. It doesn't talk about the Exodus specifically. And so there's no reason why the psalmist doesn't have other things in mind that God has done. God performed wonders and won victory for his people when he brought them into the promised land, didn't he? And when he defeated the surrounding nations, God was their warrior king when King David was put on the throne and when he went out to battle. And later on, when they were in exile, God brought them back. He put them in their land again. He was being their victorious king. Yahweh is and always has been that victorious warrior for his people, going into battle for them saving them, giving them what he promised to give them. And we know this, even more so than the psalmist did. Because for us, God has won an even greater victory than he did for Israel. God has defeated even greater enemies than the ones he defeated for Israel. God has sent his king into battle to fight for us. Who is that king? It is the Lord Jesus. As he died on the cross, as he suffered and died, he was defeating sin and death, our greatest enemies, to win the battle against them. And then God performed the wonder of raising Jesus from the dead so that we could have eternal life and salvation. He has done what we could not do for ourselves. He has paid for sin, defeated death. He has been victorious. That's why we sing things like, God with us, he who is victorious, he is strong and mighty to save, in the song we sung earlier. Yahweh is our mighty warrior, the king who goes into battle for us, the one who has secured victory for us. And so we should sing a new song to him. We should give him the praise he deserves because of what he's done for us in Jesus. And all of this helps the psalmist then to burst into song into the next section, verses four to six. It's as if singing a song to the Lord is not enough. The psalmist calls for more than just singing. Because of his great big victory, because of his love and faithfulness, this is the kind of praise he deserves. Have a look at it. Verses 4 to 6, the psalmist says in verse 4, Shout to the Lord, be jubilant and joyful. Verse 5, sing to the Lord with musical instruments. Verse 6, even battlefield instruments, the horn and the trumpet, shout triumphantly. God's people and all the earth should burst into musical and joyful praise of Yahweh. He is the king. And so he deserves it. You get this picture, don't you? That it's loud and noisy and lively and vibrant and enthusiastic. God deserves meaningful and joyful praise because he is our victorious king. Which makes me wonder, when we hear these calls in this psalm and all throughout the the psalms to be joyful and praise, do we praise God like this? Over and over and over again we've in the psalms, the joyful call to praise. So do we praise like this psalm calls us to? I'm always so encouraged by the way that we sing as a church. We sing loudly and proudly, and I love it. Our singing is one of the main things I look forward to each Sunday. And last week we started this new song, and by halfway through the song, you were all singing it loudly and proudly. You love to sing to Yahweh your King. But let's take this psalm on board in our singing. Let's listen to this call to praise and up the ante on our singing. Let's sing louder and with more joy and passion because of who God is and what he has done for us. Let's sing with joy and let's let our faces show it. I'm amazed that sometimes we, even we sing these amazing songs and we sing about the most mind-blowing thing in the world the God of the universe, the gospel of Jesus, we sing about that and we can't even crack a smile. Sometimes we look literally almost bored to death when we sing. Why is that? Why can't we sing with the kind of joy that's being talked about here, with the passion and smiling that should come from singing about the praises of our King? I'm not saying that we need to sing with the biggest smile possible all the time like this. I'm not saying we need to be happy all the time or fake it. I'm not saying we should be bouncing off the walls or wailing around the room. And I'm not even saying that I'm never distracted or I'm never thinking about other things or or worried about other things when I'm singing. I often am. But I am saying that we should reflect on the words of the songs that we're singing and let them hit us in the heart And then show in our voices and on our face. We should not be what some people call the frozen chosen, which is all stern and stiff and serious when we sing, so that we don't want to be that, do we? Let's feel the weight of who God is and what He has done. Let's let that good news bring us joy when we sing and let it show on our faces we have the most amazing news that has ever been told. Jesus' death and resurrection, our forgiveness from sin, our eternal life. Let's sing with joy about that. Now, having said that, I know in, the light, in light of last week and the Psalms that we're looking at, that we've been wrestling together with this question. What if I don't feel like praising God? What if I can't be glad and rejoice like the Bible says I should be? Let me tell you, I'm not someone who feels like praising God all the time. I often feel like I do things out of duty rather than out of the joy and thankfulness that I should have to God. We all struggle with this at some time or in some way, don't we? But some of us struggle more than others. Some of us struggle with depression or anxiety and we don't feel joyful. And so we struggle to sing praise. This is you. If you don't praise God or you struggle to feel like you can praise Him, then here's a few things for us to reflect on. First of all, our emotions are not the most important thing. They are an important and vital part of our Christian lives and our faith. But our emotions also change daily, hourly, minutely they go up and down they are happy and they are sad that's part of living in a broken world so they are not the single measure of our spirituality the measure of spirituality is faith in the lord jesus trust in his promises that is more important and the measure of salvation is to be our confidence in what god's sovereignty isn't it that he can hold on to us and keep us in his kingdom even if we struggle to have joy or to have faith. Second thought. Faithfulness sometimes means doing without feeling. For example, if you have kids and you wake up one morning and you think to yourself, I really want to feed my kids today. Should you feed your kids? You should feed your kids, just in case you are wondering. If you don't feel like feeding your kids, please feed them. If you have kids, most of you don't, but if you do, do you get the point? Our feelings should not stop us from doing what is right. The same can go for praising God. Of course, we want to work on our motivations. We want to work on our affection for God. But our hearts and minds are weak and fickle. We are burdened by sin and our motives are mixed. So we will always have this tension. So that sometimes... We need to do the faithful thing without feeling like we want to do that thing. Even if we don't feel joyful, we can still praise. We can still declare God's wonders. Even if we don't feel thankful, we can say, God, thank you for this. I recognize the cost of your son's life for me. Having said all that, we are commanded to have joy in God To have our soul satisfied by him, by who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And God wants us to grow in that. And the only way that God grows us is if he changes us. And the only way that he changes us is by the power of his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we need to devote ourselves again to God's word, don't we? In order to be changed, in order to find joy in Jesus and praise him we need again devote ourselves to god's word reflecting on the gospel the love and mercy of god the holiness and grandeur of him we need to set our minds on god's glory and make it our treasure and he will change us through that and we need to, to devote ourselves to prayer crying out to him in prayer and asking that his spirit would change us change our hearts to joyful hearts Having joy in what who God is and what He has done. If you struggle with this, and you want to find more joy, uh, then here's a book that I've been reading during the week that I think you would find really helpful. It's called When I Don't Desire God by John Piper. The tagline is How to Fight for Joy. There's two different covers, but they're the same book. Whenever I read something by John Piper, I'm, I'm always challenged, and I'm also spiritually refreshed. He writes boldly and he writes to build Christians up. He is a great gift to the church and he does an excellent job in this book of helping us to think about and to fight for joy. So grab a copy of that online or at a Christian bookshop. But back to our psalm because there's one more part of this psalm. It's kind of the most exciting one. In verses 7 to 9, not only does the psalmist call God's people to sing Not only does he call for lively praise, he calls for all creation to join in with him. It's a bit like a song in a musical. Imagine you're watching a musical and the main character starts off by singing by themselves. And then as they go on through the song, other members of the cast join in and add to the song with their voices. And then by the end of the song, there's this crazy, loud, dancing light and sound as the whole chorus comes onto the stage singing that's what this part of the psalm is like have a look at verse 7 let the sea and all that fills it the world and those who live in it resound let the rivers clap their hands let the mountains shout together for joy before the lord that would be an amazing sight wouldn't it imagine all living things crying out to god in praise who made them Imagine waves in the rivers and on the oceans crashing together in applause to their creator. Imagine vast mountains thundering with joy, praising the God who made them. It is an amazing picture. And it's because this is the kind of praise that our God deserves. The praise of all creation. We've already seen one big reason why, because he is a victorious warrior. But then there's one more reason given to us by the psalmist in verse 9. Have a look at it with me. It is humbling. Why should all creation shout and sing in praise to Yahweh? Because he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Why praise Yahweh? Because Yahweh is the king who will judge justly. He is the righteous judge. He will judge the world and all people. And because he's the judge, this is the kind of praise that he deserves. All encompassing, all creation joining in. We long for this, don't we? Even if we don't realize it, even if we're uncomfortable with this image of God being judge, we long for him to come and work justice on the earth, don't we? We live in a world that is so full of, just, sorry, so full of injustice and hypocrisy. We long for justice and for someone, anyone, who will judge righteously and fairly, who will put an end to the evil that humans do to each other. Who will end violence and pain and suffering and poverty? Brothers and sisters, God is the only one who can be that just and fair judge. He doesn't lack any evidence. He sees all things, He knows all things. He won't make the wrong call. He can't be bribed, He is full of integrity. The psalmist has confidence in this judge, Yahweh, the King of the universe. Full confidence in him to come with justice to judge all people. But what our psalmist didn't know, but that we do know, is how God would do that. How would God come and judge? Our psalmist, he didn't know that God would soon become man. That God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, would be that judge who would walk the earth, die on a cross, rise again, be ascended to heaven, and then return to judge all people. But we know that. Have a look at, verse, have a look at Acts chapter 10 on your outline. This is Peter speaking. He, that's God, commanded us apostles to preach to the people and solemnly testify that he, Jesus, Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Brothers and sisters, the image in this psalm of all creation crying out to God in praise will one day be a reality. This promise that all nations living and dead will stand before God's judgment seat will become true. A day is coming when Jesus, the man appointed by God, God himself in the flesh, will return to judge. And on that day, all creation will respond with resounding praise. He will gather all people who lived together, who lived, whoever lived, and he will open the books. And he will judge people based on how they have treated him, whether they have accepted and praised him, or rejected and ignored and hated him. Jesus is that appointed king who will carry out that judgment that this psalm is talking about. And so the question that this psalm presses on us is, will we join in on that praise? Will we give God the kind of abundant, joyful praise that he deserves? The kind that he deserves because of who he is and what he has done? Or will we find ourselves on the wrong side of his judgment when he returns? Will we praise him daily because he is the king who will judge, because he is our warrior king who fights for us? Will we praise Jesus, the one who paid for our salvation, the one who rose again and will come to judge? And Secondly, does that praise then overflow from our hearts and our mouths to our world, to those who don't yet know Jesus? Because God just doesn't want Us in here, as you look around this room, he doesn't just want us to know about Jesus or to hear his praises. He wants all people, all nations, to know his glory, to know his actions, to hear his praise. Did you notice how many times the psalm mentioned the nations? Just scan over it again. Verse 2 and 3 talks about the nations seeing God's victory. Verse 4 says, all the earth should praise God. Verse 7 calls for the world and those who live in it to resound in praise. God has displayed his actions, his mighty works before all people. He wants them to see him and know him and respond to him in faith and praise. And that is what he deserves, isn't it? So how can you play your part in people hearing those praises. Who can you declare God's praises to and what will you tell them about our glorious King? Why not take this series as an opportunity to read through the Psalms for the first time or again? And as you read through, take note of all those times that the psalmist says, I will praise you before the nations or resound in praise before the Gentiles. And every time you see that, let it spur you on to do so. To share the good news, to praise God to those who don't yet know him. To have it overflow from your life to those around you. So do we praise God joyfully, like this psalmist calls us to? And do we let that praise overflow to our world? Will we sing joyfully for the nations to hear that our God is worthy of praise? Worthy because he is our mighty, victorious king, worthy because he is coming to judge. Well let's pray that we would be. God our Father, we thank you again for these ancient words, which tells us that from old, you were, and still are, a victorious king for your people. We praise you and are humbled also that it tells us that you are the judge, that the Lord Jesus will return and judge all people. God, we pray that you'd help us to be on the right side of that judgment when he returns, that you would help us in the meantime to give joyful praise to the Lord Jesus and that you would help us to have that praise overflow to our world so that many can also join in on that praise and stand with us on that last day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a rare opportunity to put into practice what we've just been taught from the scriptures straight away. We're about to sing a song called Mighty to Save. Now, I'm not expecting us all to end up on the stage by the end of the song, singing and dancing together. Uh, But here is an opportunity for us to proclaim what we believe joyfully and loudly. So will you stand? Will you sing with each other to God?